Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. My guest today is a repeat guest. He came on the show first back, way back in episode 10. Before I knew how to really phrase questions, before I got rid of my stutter, which I still have, embarrassingly enough, from time to time. But Monsal Denton has become quite the friend over the past couple of years. He was the founder of Neutropedia, but has now set off on his own path to really discover this thing called life. And this episode is dedicated to those in that exploration. Monsal and I discuss those hard questions that some of us start to ask ourselves when you reach a certain level. It's that area that Maslow calls self-actualization. But getting into questions around purpose, why are we here? Why is anyone here? Are all very, very difficult questions. And we tackle it on today's podcast. Monsal and I speak openly about psychedelics, relationships, as well as Monsal's experience with hunting and how that may be related to all of this. The show notes for this one are decodingsuperhuman.com slash sacredhunting and enjoy my conversation with Monsal Denton. Before we jump into that conversation, let's give another shout out to a listener who left a five-star rating. Subject of this one is, wow, I'm learning so much. Lady from 29P. Great interviews and content. Very well done podcast. The simplicity of that review is just beautiful. And I really appreciate you, Lady 29P, for taking, or Lady from 29P, for taking the time to leave the message. If you are so inclined, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. It really helps get the word out, and pretty soon I'll probably be reading yours. Let's get back to that episode. Monsal, welcome back. Mm, thank you. Thanks for reminding me that I was episode 10. Been a while. It, it has. Episode 10, now we're all the way up to 150 plus. Uh, by the time this is released, we may even get in the 160s. But uh, times have changed a little bit. But you're still here. Well, you're in Austin. I'm in Amsterdam. And we're having a very similar video conversation, at least format-wise, uh, that we had last time. So I'm glad you're here, Ben. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for keeping in touch. It's been a pleasure to even just at a distance see us growing in a similar direction. Yeah. Let's talk about that growth because, um, you know, last time you came on the show, we talked almost exclusively about nootropics. Like, hey, how do we take our brains from 90 to 120? And what's smart about that? You actually introduced me to the Shulgin method, which is something that I've probably used on countless stages uh, since then. So thank you. Uh, I should trademark you or at least give you credit for that. But uh, how's everything been going? T- tell me what's new in the life of Monsal. 
Well, what's new in my life has been an exploration of the esoteric for the lack of a better term. I don't necessarily think I've, I've only been, you know, in the esoteric world, but I think compared to the previous podcast, compared to the previous version of myself, very focused on quantifying and metrics and data, mm-hmm. I'm definitely exploring some aspects of reality uh, that are unstudied, untested, and trying to uncover pretty pretty deep questions about mm-hmm. what creates a life of meaning, what creates fulfillment, mm-hmm. what are we here to do on earth as individuals, but you know, as a species and and these are I'm never going to have the answer necessarily, but I feel like developing this aspect of my side and uh, having a spiritual connection side is one of the greatest pivots that I've been making in my life. So, uh, and I've recently, we were discussing this beforehand, gone down a similar path and, and obviously everybody's individual and how they do it. But for me, for the longest time, everything was kind of physical and mental. And that was the only thing that existed. And if, there was a data point out there that I could assign to it, then it existed. And if there was no data point, then there's no point in paying attention to it. Um, but at some point I arrived at this conclusion that, okay, there's more to this and call it, you know, using Maslow's terms, self-actualization or whatever, but you start to pose these really existential questions. Um, you outlined some of those existential questions. And then you said explorations into the esoteric. I'm assuming that's on the path to trying to find the answers to these questions, but what does some of that esoteric look like? Sure. Good question. One thing as you were asking that question that came up was backtracking a little bit and explaining why I think that I've gone down this path. And I think this is something that'll resonate with a lot of people. But in my previous relationship, there were challenges that came up where I felt certain things. And I, uh, in that pain, I sought out different modalities, different ways of making meaning, different ways of feeling, you know, assuaging my own pain. And even now, the most... Uh, the most present project or exploration that I'm doing is a result of the pain of splitting up with my former partner. And so I would argue that where I might've been closed minded to certain concepts, uh, the pain really helped kind of open me up to exploring something. And I think a lot of people have that pain, whether it's pain of loneliness in the current like nuclear family model that we have or mm-hmm. anxiety and depression with social media and the news. And, and, and so there's a lot of pain there. And if we're really like listening to different things that we can explore, I think it, uh, it opens up a lot of doors for us. And the one that I'm currently exploring in some capacity is 
my subconscious mind and mm-hmm. the stories that I tell myself, which were really programmed at a very young age, and how those stories essentially run my life. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of science in that, which I've clung, to, you know, I cling to in, in a lot of respects as a recovering materialist, but there's a lot of faith that one has to have in terms of acknowledging, you know, certain stories that we tell ourselves and how that manifests in our life. Mm-hmm. We can go into that, you know, a little bit deeper if you'd like. Let's do that because I, I want to hear more about, um, there's sort of this letting go process, right? And, or at least having faith in letting go, you're going to discover something new about yourself. What gave you comfort to just pursue it? Well, it's funny because my former partner was doing this kind of work, subconscious work for years in the relationship. And for so long, I was just in this mindset of like, uh, I love that you're into this like feminine woo woo stuff, but mm-hmm. it does. What kind of stuff was she doing? It was more like visualizations, affirmations. Mm-hmm. She did this uh, this modality. It's called EMDR, and I forget what it stands for, but it's like eye. It's like rapid eye movement. And, and it's, it helps you clear the limbic brain. So if you get into it, yeah. You know who told, somebody, uh, Luke's story told me about this. There's a yeah. book. I haven't bought the book yet, but I, I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, you should check this out. It's pretty fascinating. Um, but anyways, I interrupted you. Well, yeah, it's, it is fascinating. And um, I'm you know currently going through this program called Training Camp for the Soul, which is kind of a 10-week ah, I know course. a knot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So she'll, she'll be a much better person to you know, speak about the whole subconscious uh, you know, reprogramming and things like that. But what really resonated for me was just recognizing you know, if 90 to 95% of our life is run by our subconscious, and then we look at, you know, most of our subconscious is actually seated in the first seven years of our life when our brain is in a theta wave state and it's mm-hmm. in a hypnotic state. So it's essentially just soaking up anything and everything in our surroundings and, you know, ble- bless my dad's heart. He, 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 he made some huge commitments and he's, he's great. But until the age of six, he was an alcoholic. And there was some stuff in my childhood that I took on that yeah. is not serving me at all mm-hmm. anymore. And it's not even true. And so now I just have an opportunity to really feel that's the hard kind of intangible part. Cause you have to really like feel what is true about the stories that I have about myself. Mm-hmm. And then look at those limiting beliefs, create some you know new beliefs, and work on the repetition to make sure that they you know replace those old stories. Gotcha, man. That's um, it's amazing. So you you've done this work in the subconscious, and you know I love a not I love what she's doing. In terms of other explorations of the subconscious, like, I mean, classically Freud comes to mind. Uh, but also there are many things out there like schema therapy and a few others. Have you done, and maybe we go down different paths here, but what other things have kind of led you to the route of the subconscious? 
Well, I don't know. Like I said, I think pain was really the big motivator Mm -hmm. in terms of going down this route. I will share with you another modality that I have found to explore my own subconscious that I think you and the audience will appreciate. It's very much rooted in the opposite of, you know, traditional, you know, psychology and subconscious work and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a practice called a dieta, which is used in South America. I mean, it's li- literally means diet. Oftentimes a dieta is used pre ayahuasca or pre yeah you know, some type of entheogenic use, but it's also used as a standalone practice. And okay. Uh, I would love to just double click on this because like the standalone practice, I haven't gone into that part really myself in terms of using as a standalone practice. I've heard of it, of course, in the lead up to ayahuasca, but how do you use that? Yeah, well, the there's the traditional way that it's done in the jungle is very challenging and Mm -hmm. it starts off with essentially three days in isolation, no food, no water, no stimulation. You're not even supposed to meditate. You're not supposed to journal. You're really supposed to just be with what is for a long time. And it's a, it's a, it's an early process of kind of breaking down your psyche a little bit. And then over the course of, you know, it could be a month. Some people go through a year long dieta. You essentially get, you know, very bland food, a little bit of cornmeal or something and very low calories. So I have friends who've gone down to the jungle. They've lost, you know, 50 pounds in two weeks. And the process of a dieta is really to break down the physical body as much as possible Mm -hmm. in order to connect to spiritual centers in a more profound way. And I didn't go down to the jungle. I didn't do as rigorous of a dieta as you know, many of some of my friends who went down to the jungle, but I created my own. And in my own, I I was celibate for the whole month, like not releasing any sexual energy, no caffeine, no sugar, no nootropics of any kind, no substances besides uh, a plant, which I'll explain a little bit. Um, and also you know, no social media or a lot less social media, a lot more fasting, uh, started mm-hmm. off with a three day fast. And the, the, the process for me was to really remove all of the potential numbing mechanisms that mm-hmm. I could use in my life to not feel the feelings that were coming up. Okay. And that is, I didn't, I didn't realize how profound it would be because, you know, I drink coffee a couple days a week, like most people. Mm-hmm. And I think I was doing pretty good because I, you know, don't drink it every day. I have a pretty good control on cycling it. But at the same time, those days where I would drink coffee, my mood was a little bit more elevated. When I ate chocolate, my mood was a little bit more elevated, different different things, you know, food, all these different pleasurable things that we can get in such high quantity now 
they numb our ability to remain in touch with our own sensations, emotions, and feelings. And that's mm-hmm. the, the sensations, emotions, and feelings that are coming up. That is the subconscious trying to communicate with us, trying to tell us things and give us wisdom. And so this process for me has been enlightening and humbling in that I love plant medicines. I, I love external tools for me to learn about myself. And I was humbled at how removing things from my life gave me, a, gave me one of the wisest teachers, which was you know, my own body, my own psyche. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating about this, and I'm very curious why you went kind of the South American, North American route versus if you look at some ancient Asian traditions, even there are very, it's in some ways funny to me, like how similar these ancient traditions can be across different cultures. But for you, was it just access to, because you're in Austin, right? And there are certainly plenty of places where you can have access to a lot of this information. Was it just access to that information and proximity to South America that made you interested in those traditions or was it some other guiding factor? Yeah, great question again. There's a few things that led to the exploration because as we can talk about later, it's not just South America, North American tribes. I have yeah. relationships with the Crow Indians and I've been hunting with them and going to the Sundance and sweat lodges. So there's all the practices of the indigenous in the Americas resonate a lot with me. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've had a spiritual teacher who is Native American for six years before I even really was all that interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, in retrospect, I believe makes the most difference for me is where the beliefs came from. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is almost all written traditions, whether it's Abrahamic religions, whether it's even you know other Eastern religions, Buddhism, etc., almost all of them were derived in a time and a world where agriculture had already taken root. Okay. The indigenous in the Americas, a lot of the beliefs are still very much rooted in a hunter gatherer way of life. Okay. And that creates some fundamental differences. One of which being in my studies, the, the hunter gatherer belief systems tends to be a little bit more holistic in incorporating the shadow and the gold together. Mm-hmm. They, they, the spiritual teachers, the, all the leaders, they can have a conversation about the most lofty spiritual things and then talk about, you know, chasing women around in the same conversation. Okay. You know, so they have this embodiment of all that it means to be human. Mm-hmm. that sometimes I don't always feel is integrated in some of the other beliefs and teachings. Mm-hmm. And that's me trying to place some meaning on why I've been drawn to the you know indigenous rites and 
uh, spiritual teachings, but mm -hmm. I think it does hold some validity, at least for me. Mm -hmm. Of course, of course. Now, just for people listening to this, who I'm guessing a fair amount of this audience has not had any experience with psychedelics um, or has some sort of skepticism towards it. Do you mind just going it down? Because you and I, similar backgrounds, right? Like hyper-rational, uh, quantified everything. How did you get comfortable with psychedelics? And, you know, what was the first one that you actually tried? Man, I'm so glad for your questions. And, and, just, uh, and actually, like, let me quantify like, or qualify what I mean by first one you actually tried. First one you've actually tried that wasn't in a satin setting that was meant to escape, but rather to tune in. Uh, because I know that some people go like, hey, I tried LSD when I was 20, but you were with a bunch of girls and you're trying to do different things. So I uh, would love to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So I'm learning as you're asking questions. I appreciate that. But when I first used psilocybin at this point, I think maybe five years ago now, I was also in a place of pain. I had just had an experience with a girl and I remember it wasn't shortly, it was not very long afterwards where it was Valentine's Day and her and I were, we weren't, you know, she told me she didn't want to see me anymore. And it's I awfully a, nice of her to pick Valentine's Day to tell you that information, right? Yeah. She preempted the Valentine's Day. So it was like just feeling the loneliness and feeling you know, at that point, that was like one of my first encounters with women. And so mm -hmm. I was really just encountering all of the shame that I had in not feeling like a man, not feeling like I, not feeling a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. And there's something about pain that just opens us up to be in a receiving place. And so I went with a couple of friends, friends who are, you know, still, still close today, and we did, uh, you know, a small psilocybin experience and it was, you know, it was, it was very profound. I remember it pretty vividly just because it was so new. I don't think I even took much, you know, high of a dose. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, as I look at the other times where I've turned to plant medicines or I've been open to them, it was times when I was in pain, you know, whether it was in the relationship with my former partner and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and she suggested, well, I'd already done it, but I had felt a calling to do it in the relationship because, you know, something felt like it was missing mm -hmm. and I got that piece, um, in, in some of those experiences. And even now my re exploration of different medicines and things like that is coming from a place of, uh, it's coming from a, a place of de a desire for growth, but in the, the seed for that desire of growth is pain. And that seems to be a, a trend and a trend from my past that I no longer want to keep in my future. So I appreciate yeah. it. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, because, maybe we're similar in this way. Like I initially came to it from a place of pain. Like 
done all of this work on myself and oh shit, I cannot figure out what the hell is missing. And that missing part, that void, if you will, was just bothering me for a while. And there's a number of different ceremonies and psychedelics involved, but it, it is helpful uh, in so many different manners and ways. Now this transition from accessing it only in a place of place of pain to a place of, for lack of a better word, optimization, um, or from a place of, you know, using something that rhymes gain, uh, is that sort of a trend you see going forward or is some of the work that you're doing right now more kind of removing the need for plant medicines and those things? Way back in episode 10, Monsel came on the show. We spoke almost exclusively about nootropics, but today it was a very different conversation as you can tell. But the sponsor will keep the same. Neurohacker Collective is one of my favorite companies out there when it comes to producing nootropics. I took and still take, I have a personal stash, the original stack, quite often. Qualia Mind has become a favorite of many listeners. And Eternus is one of the most interesting products when it comes to both NAD and total cell optimization. If all of those tickle your fancy like they do for me, Head on over to neurohacker.com and you can use the code BOOMER where you're going to get yourself a 15% discount on a subscription or a 10% discount on a one-time purchase. Again, neurohacker.com, use the code BOOMER. And let's get back to this amazing conversation with Monsel Denton. Yes, and all of the above. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that was a pretty long-winded question, right? <laughs> well, there's just there's multiple different threads that I can go down. Um, for one thing, I believe that the plant medicines are so, so important right now, not because we can't get to those states or we can't have similar realizations without them, but because there's so much weight on our shoulders as people in the current civilized world that prevent us from connecting to ourselves Mm -hmm. that the plant medicines are so imperative for really shaking us and showing us that there's something more than our day-to-day routine and the anxieties in our head about achievement and acquiring things and all that kind of stuff. If you guys are looking at this, it's I'm giggling because, or if you're listening to this, I'm giggling because this is all the stuff that goes through my head sometimes. So (laughs) yeah, well, yeah. uh, Like attracts like, so we, we, you know, we, and I felt that myself as well. It like, you know, for me to get to a place where I'm working on what I'm working on right now, it was like, I had two major ayahuasca, retreats, you know, one month before and one month after a really, you know, like pivotal, uh, event in my life. And it took that much to get, you know, to the depths of who I am and to, you know, to actually like, you know, see things, see the reality for what it is. I, I think a lot of our ancestors and even people who are maybe a little more pastoral probably are more connected to those things mm-hmm. than someone from the city who, you know, is like 
on my computer and phone and everything every day. So that's, that's where I see them as being valuable is mm-hmm. they're just strong, strong medicines right now. I'm exploring because I've had those, those strong medicines. I'm exploring what it looks like to have my life permeated with this type of inner listening. And some of that work is, you know, dream work. My spiritual teacher had me asking questions of the dream realm at between 2 to 4 a.m. when I wake up in the middle of the night. So, yeah, I was going to ask how you set that up because this sounds a little bit like lucid dreaming, but are you setting an alarm or is it more like, hey, you traditionally wake up between two and four and let's start asking questions and see what comes out of that subconscious? Yeah, it's it's purely when I wake up. If I have questions that are there and I remember to ask them, then I just ask them. And in this context, because I'm learning in like a Muscogee Creek Native American lineage, mm-hmm. I'm essentially, in this case, I was asking the winged spirits, asking, you know, spirits that embody flight mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. that means and getting responses back in ways I never would have expected. I mean, it was like a very mild ayahuasca experience in terms of visuals, in terms of getting answers and intuitions. And like pretty I was it was pretty mind blowing to me to see that that subtle uh response, the subtle learning that's, you know, done with my own mind. And so this looks a little bit like just for to paint the picture for complete picture for people. Uh, you wake up in the middle of the night, you see the question in some ways, like inception, if you will, then you, you fall back asleep and you go through this dream sequence. When you wake up, do you have a journal by your bed or how are you processing and documenting this? Because I imagine that if you, if you don't just kind of lose it to the ether, right? Yeah. Yes. And I was worried about that, but I actually didn't get the answer from the dream itself. I got the answer while I was still awake. I think the if I had to make some assumptions or conjecture, the there's uh, you know more DMT in the brain at, mm-hmm. uh, that's you know being processed at night that you have access to. So the the what he said, what Will, my teacher, says is like the veil between you know other forms of consciousness is much thinner at night versus, you know, waking consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so it was just as if I was in an ayahuasca experience where for those who aren't familiar, oftentimes you're, it's suggested to ask questions of the grandmother Mm -hmm. where, you know, and I might ask a certain question about whether I should do X, Y, and Z. And in this case, I just did that while I was kind of groggy and awake in my bed before mm-hmm. going back to sleep. And I got similar responses, a l- little bit less in scale, but I mean, even visuals where the answers were coming to me in visuals. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've only ever experienced on ayahuasca as well. And so it was profound to see that. And I've consistently found, you know, other practices. I do three day fasts every quarter and 
it's ironic given the context of this conversation because when <laughs> I first started doing it, it was like biohacking yeah. is good for autophagy. Yeah. Now it's purely spiritual. Mm-hmm. And it, it's towards the end, I, I'm a lot, I get to those states that are more introspective. So uh, the, uh, the question that comes to mind is, immediately is, as you've gone through this spiritual journey, has your sleep been affected? This is just something that I've noticed in myself as in like, do you automatically or before did you wake up between two or 4 a.m.? Or is it something that over the course of building this spiritual side of Monsal has kind of developed? Well, it's been a very recent phenomena. Mm-hmm. I haven't recognized much difference as far as the sleep is concerned, how good my sleep is. Mm -hmm. But what I have changed is how much I honor the things that come up in my sleep, the subconscious feelings, because, and this is a particularly potent time period, but after breaking up with my former partner, there was tons of dreams that I was having where she was, you know, acting like a caricature of herself. But what I was seeing was my subconscious was trying to tell me something. It was trying to tell me, you know, some things that it had been trying to tell me for a while, but I was neglecting. It was trying, it was processing things. And I remember, you know, there were many nights where I would feel great at night and then I would wake up in the morning and just feel miserable, like feel like in the grips of, you know, all the terror and loneliness and pain and everything. And like I said, I think there was probably a time when I would try and just numb, push it under the covers, right? Yeah. Push like bad dream. It's a nightmare, whatever. Yeah. And now I'm much more, I have a perspective of like, Oh, this is, this is good. This is, I'm just trying to tell me something. This is something also that I really want to pay attention to and listen to in the future, in future relationships, in future, just in life. Like mm-hmm. how fucking amazing is it that we have a body that's so much smarter than our mind is yeah. in many, many ways. Yeah. Uh, how has this, <clears throat> this journey you've been on, how has it affected how you show up in your relationships in everyday life? Because I imagine that as you're unpeeling the layers of the onion, Monsal at episode 10 versus Monsal at episode 150 plus is probably close to 180 degree difference. What has that looked like in terms of how you show up with your friends and conversation or just in everyday life? Well, for one thing, I feel way more authentic in the expression of who I am and what I am. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't always mean that I'm full of confidence or that I don't have insecurities, but you know, it's been reflected to me on multiple occasions from different people that I'm one of the most authentically me people that they know. Mm -hmm. And that's an incredible feedback loop to be in because I think so much of dysfunction and disease comes from behaving 
or working or doing something in the world that is out of alignment with oneself. Yeah. And I, and I just have this beautiful, beautiful feedback loop where people like appreciate that I'm myself. And so I'm like, oh, this is good. So I'm going to continue being myself and just mm-hmm. kind of continue to do that and do that. Um, and that has been, you know, obviously a journey for me to mm-hmm. feel very open to share pretty much anything and everything and be able to also be able to do that really quickly and make friends super fucking quickly. Like I yeah. can connect if, if they're open, it's obviously it's a two way street, but mm-hmm. if they're open to connection, I feel really great about my ability to connect with them, to empathize with them and to have, you know, like amazing friends in a very short period of time. And that feels special. And in a time in my life when I'm realizing the value of things that can't be measured, Mm -hmm. community and other human beings and connection is one of the biggest pieces that we could possibly have. And we were talking a little bit about this before the podcast, but over the last three years, I started this journey. I started a men's group and I started it just right before, you know, I started really getting into medicine work and stuff like that. And this men's group has evolved from two people to now we have six and there's like four uh, female partners. Um, So, you know, we've, we have like 10, 11 people and it feels like a family. And it feels like a family where now they're having kids and we're, there's a, there's a, there's a feeling of a, a tribe and, and a family that comes with that. And starting to recognize that in a lot of my relationships has been incredibly rewarding mm-hmm. as far as uh, how I'm showing up. And that you know, in some ways feels a little self-aggrandizing because I've got so many flaws. It's not even funny, <laughs> but that is what comes up first in, in the last few years as I've done this work. Yeah, we certainly all have flaws, right? Um, if you're speaking to people listening to this podcast who are kind of asking themselves a lot of those same existential questions, where do you start like what kind of guidance would you give people that were on this journey and they've done everything possible and now they're searching for more? Where do you think they should start? And when you say they've done everything on this journey, have they? <laughs> let's let's talk about the, you know, Monsel Boomer sort of a couple of years ago, right? And so you've done the physical, the mental, you've done all the biohacks, everything. You were doing three-day fast because of autophagy. You had your CGM in, all of that good stuff, right? And then all of a sudden you come to this existential moment. You're like, okay, what's purpose? You're asking yourself these types of questions. What? Where, where, or what kind of like routines, checklists, any sort of things would you start with with people? And maybe routines and checklists are exactly what you shouldn't start with, but uh, something like that. Yeah, I would have people 
in retrospect, I wouldn't have said this before, but I think I would encourage people to tap into more embodiment Mm -hmm. because we, we like to think that science and rationality and everything is separate from organized religion. But the truth is like science and rationality is the new organized religion. Mm -hmm. And so coming from that background where the sacraments are data and heady reasoning and things like that, there's a huge disconnect between our mind and our body. Mm -hmm. And there's bridging that gap and creating that connection is by far one of the most valuable things that people can do. And it's also incredibly easy. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember when I first started on this journey and there were times when I would go dancing just out at a bar club, whatever, and just dance, but not have any, you know, any, substance in my body just like just an ecstatic dance kind of thing just going basically yeah Yeah, just just an ecstatic kind of dance and for people who you know want to want to actually go straight to it there is a actual you know program called ecstatic dance dance. yeah yeah but you know even just you know the simple version of going to a, a club and dancing there's something about it i remember that something about it that was like whoa my body feels like so wise it feels like so cathartic it feels and so it was just tapping into a lot of feelings of my body mm-hmm. and that's really what most of these modalities are doing the psychedelics are helping you just get down to like what is what are get out kind of get out of your mind and let your body come through in certain ways um and so some kind of embodiment practice, whatever feels right, is a great first step to start developing a relationship with one's body. And I know it's so hard for a lot of people probably to consider, like, I'm struggling with purpose. How does going to dance help me with purpose? But the existential questions, so much of the mystery that comes with life, which is inherent to our existence, it requires a connection to intuition. Mm -hmm. And when I felt like my mission and my purpose right now is to bring men to a sacred art of hunting, that didn't come from a book. It didn't come from, it didn't come from anything outside of me. It came from my intuition, it came from my experiences, and I had to hone the skill of intuition in order to be able to hear that mission and purpose coming through. And one final piece I'll say on that is something Daniel Schmachtenberger said, which always resonates a lot with me is like, we come out of the womb and we're not actually that great at rationality or scientific thinking. We have to learn logic Mm -hmm. in school. It's kind of trained in us in science and math, et cetera. But there's no courses or class that teaches us how to tap into our intuition. But it's it's the same way. You come out, you're not great at tapping into your intuition, and you have to hone that skill over time in order to 
you know, be comfortable with it. And Daniel's one of those people that I would love to get on the show at some point, but um, let's transition into hunting because I have to, where did the hunting come in? I, I can picture what you're going to say, but I don't actually know. Where does the hunting come in here? Well, the just brief explanation of it was I was raised a vegetarian, mm-hmm. started eating meat. And when we spoke last was eating meat because it was nourishing to my body, but there was some part of me that felt odd about not having ever done it myself. And, you know, meat comes from a grocery store and a restaurant instead of an actual animal. And so I made the commitment that I was going to go on a hunt. And that's where I had to, in some way, listen to my own intuition around an experience that I wanted to have. And Mm -hmm. that's also up for debate because perhaps the intuition was seeded from some other higher power. But the experience was scheduled for December and it just so happened that I had a men's ayahuasca retreat in November and I had another ayahuasca retreat in January. So like one month before and after. Mm -hmm. And my spiritual teacher always says the plants chose you for this specific message. And what I developed with these three experiences in close proximity was way more than I could have ever imagined. The hunting by itself, maybe if I was, you know, in some tribal setting or I grew up hunting or something like that, it could be as of as a profound experience in and of itself. But I needed the ayahuasca to really like get to a deep place where I for the first time ever asked a higher power for guidance and support. Mm-hmm. And then was granted that guidance and support on the experience itself. Um I felt a very, very deep connection to that animal, to the food, to, you know, if you want to talk about optimizing, we can talk about like all the food and the differences, how, how feeding it this way is different from this way. And then this nutrition and this diet and all of that stuff is like, it, it's essentially playing in one little hemisphere. If you look outside of that little box and realize that doing it yourself is actually just as important or just as gratifying food wise Mm -hmm. as all those other little like tweaks and biohacks and stuff, then, then it becomes like a really powerful uh, sign of what all we're missing. Mm -hmm. And you know, for me growing up, like I said, there were struggles with masculinity and what it meant to be a man. There was, there was the feelings of pride and joy, but also sadness and grief that came with killing an animal that came with daily practice and commitment and consistent. Cause I do, uh, I do archery. So it's like a daily commitment and practice. Mm-hmm. And it really changed my whole worldview and changed what I deeply wanted to focus on, mostly because of the feelings 
you know, the, the feelings of my second ayahuasca retreat when I recognized that we're traumatizing millions and millions of animals in feedlots and, you know, tiny uh, cages. And then we're eating that food and it's becoming a part of us, yeah. literally becoming a part of us. So trauma is being embedded through our food. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's so much that I can go down the whole rabbit hole, but it's <laughs> many rabbit holes, but it was, I would argue one of the most pivotal points in my life and took a long time to process and took a long time to like get to a place where I could get rid of some of the limiting beliefs about what I could do mm-hmm. in a business as a you know professional role or whatever the case may be. And now focus fully on this is my mission and this is like the purpose for me being here. Mm-hmm. Before I ask the question, what is the mission and the purpose? Why archery and why not a gun? Well, another one of those, another one of those universal cosmic questions you'll never, I'll never fully understand. But I don't know if we mentioned this in the previous podcast, but many years ago, I was arrested, spent time in prison, and I had a felony. So I'm a felon, which means I am not, I cannot own a gun. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. And so, because just out of necessity, I had to go straight to archery. Mm-hmm. But of course, in the universe's wisdom, archery is way more potent. Mm-hmm. You have to be closer. You have to practice more. It's way more of a commitment. And so I've had this thought before. Maybe that whole ordeal with prison and all the things that I went through there was part of my journey to become a vessel to bring this, you know, mission to people who are willing to listen for, you know, mm-hmm. for earth. Uh, mission and purpose. What does it look like now for you? It's so funny when people ask me these questions, like they've asked me about my relationship with higher power and I derived all of these things from a place of feeling. Mm-hmm. So it's generally it's very challenging for me to even vocalize or articulate yeah. what these things are, uh, which is quite different for a lot of people. Cause many people who go into ayahuasca, for example, and they have like a Christian upbringing, they reconnect to Christian roots or whatever mm-hmm. the case is. And, they, and they, they have the articulation of it, but I had zero religion, zero, um, you know, I would, for all intents and purposes, agnostic or atheist growing mm-hmm. up. So it's like just a feeling. Um, when it comes to mission and purpose, it for me, it's very much a service to the planet, to the animals that are on the planet, and helping us to, as humans, to refined our way to living in symbiosis with the planet with each other Mm -hmm. and what that looks like is different in different ways but as far as like taking people out on hunting experiences that 
the goal there is really to have people who are just like me from the cities, disconnected from their food, disconnected from an ancestral way of life to have that experience that Mm -hmm. then opens up the doorway for them to a new way of being, Mm -hmm. a new way of being in harmony with the planet. And I'm under no illusions that anyone's just going to come to an experience and automatically be there, but it's a, it's seeding a, an experience for somebody where they can go back to their, their family. They can share their experience with their family. And now maybe they have a little bit more reverence for the food that they're eating. And now they're making different choices. And maybe if it's an influencer, they're spreading a different message because, you know, in a lot of ways, we're at, we're at a major, major pivot point on, we are. Yeah. on earth. And yeah. we can either choose to come from a place of love for one another, love for ourselves, love for the planet, or we can continue down a very destructive path. And, you know, earth will be fine either way. It just might not be with us around. <laughs> Yeah. And when I think about this work that I'm doing and trying to bring people closer to nature, it's it's really it's, a lot of it all just comes back down to connection. Mm-hmm. Are we connected to ourselves enough to recognize when something's out of alignment? Are we connect cuz if you ask if you ask most children that don't have a bunch of conditioning and programming and they're not telling themselves a bunch of stories, if you ask most children if what we do with chickens and cows and things like that in factory farming is wrong, they would cry. Most, yeah. Many of them would cry and agree that it's, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And so... We're, what's happening is it, it's not that there's bad people. We're just disconnected from the truth. Mm-hmm. And that shows up in so many different ways. It's not just our the food that we eat. That's just, for me, that's so potent because it's something we do every single day. And when I eat food and I remember that animal and I ex- remember, re-experience that moment, it's a meditation that I'm doing every single day. and it's just my thing. It's my puzzle piece in, in the web of, you know, many, many, you know, different puzzle pieces. There are ayahuasca shamans and other people who are doing great things that have to fit this puzzle piece. But the, the grand scheme is, you know, to reconnect people with, with something we've lost. Mansell, this has been such a beautiful conversation in many different ways right now. And I don't think this has existed at episode 10. But I want to transition into some final three questions for you. Uh, given now that you kind of have uh, gone away a little bit from the nootropics, if you will, what do you use to focus? Yeah, great question. In the past, I would use any and all nootropics in order to get the job done. Exactly. Yeah. And now it's so telling. I have 
gotten rid of so many layers of the onion of what I'm supposed to do with my vocation, the business that I'm supposed to create, the amount of money I'm supposed to make and all that kind of stuff, that now the thing that I'm working on is so true to my essence that I don't really need to take nootropics to work on this. Mm -hmm. And I find myself on the weekends, not out of habit, but out of desire working on this without any nootropics during the week without any nootropics. So there's a big, I say all that to say, I spent a lot of time, I think most people spend a lot of time focusing on what are the substances that they can take in order to do the work. Mm -hmm. And it might be better for some people, especially those with the financial means to think about how can I change the work that I'm doing so that I don't even need the substances because it's so in alignment. It's so calling. It's so exciting. It's Mm -hmm. so compelling that you can't not do it. You can't not think about it. And so that would be a high level answer. Um, and then it's going to sound kind of woo woo. I mean, I'll give it, I'll give you a tangible one though. I, I do really like psilocybin, yeah. uh, like 250 milligrams with, you know, 500 milligrams of lion's mane or something like that. So close to the uh, stamina stack kind of thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But high, a little bit higher dose. So I mm-hmm. actually feel the, it, it is perceptual mm-hmm. and, and you know, there's something I really like about the, creativity and the the focus that comes with that but generally speaking it's more you know what i'm working on and then the practices that i'm engaged in in the morning which include not being like i don't check social media at all Uh, i make sure that i'm doing like a gratitude practice Mm -hmm. in the mornings and a journaling practice so it's kind of like getting the stuff that's in my head out of my head then uplifting my emotional state through gratitude and then not reseeding my mind with anything that's going to be distracting like social media. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a pretty good recipe for focus without any substances. What book has significantly impacted how you show up to life? That's a great question. The Way of the Superior Man is one of the few books I've read, I think, four times in the last mm-hmm. four years. Who wrote that? I'm trying to remember who wrote that because somebody else recommended that to me recently, and I've been going through the audiobook. It's David Data. Yeah. 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 And I learn something new every time that I read it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a very much a guiding book in my life as far as the masculine's concerned what it's what excites you most about the health world right now i would say that much of modern science is starting to answer some pretty age old questions and provide some you know, substantiation behind some of the practices that 
people have been doing for hundreds of years. I mean, lots of studies on psychedelics, Mm -hmm. lots of studies on epigenetics and uh, the capacities that we have to change our own, you know, reality and things like that. You, you, you know, more than me, as far as your work with, you know, um, Dr. Stickler and I've started recently to get into Dr. Bruce Lipton and Mm -hmm. Dr. Joe Dispenza and actually be open to, you know, some of where they're blurring the lines between what's current, you know, science and what's conjecture and things like that and having faith in the conjecture in some instances. So yeah, I just really love that we're, science is really showing more and more. It's like, we need to go back to our roots in a lot of ways. And that feels really good. And, uh, you know, hopefully the, hopefully we get there with the mainstream before it all goes to hell in a handbag. <laughs> Where can people find out more about you, Monsel? Well, I, uh, as of yesterday, I'm taking my Instagram a lot more seriously. So if they just want to like see me, see what I'm up to and doing, they can just go to Instagram slash uh, Monsal, M-A-N-S-A-L, Denton. Mm-hmm. And if they want to find out more about the hunting, they can go to sacredhunting.com. Mm-hmm. And I also have a podcast called What We Eat, which is exploring a lot of these concepts. And yeah. We'll link to all this in the show notes, guys, at where we're going to actually call this one decodingsuperhuman.com slash sacredhunting. Monsel, like I said earlier, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, Really, really wide ranging. I appreciate you being so open with everything. Mm, Yeah, well, thank you for seeing that and thank you for asking good questions and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to to share you know this evolution from episode 10 to now mm-hmm. and uh you know to be to have faith that the right people will listen because i know that uh not everybody is there to move from you know the quantifiable to the you know to this new you know realm of exploration mm-hmm. but i'm glad you are and i know the right people will be as well amazing to all the superhumans listening out there have an absolutely epic day i don't know what this says about me but i've had a lot of people come on the show recently who have been very very open and i love that They've been open with past experiences, whether they be hard or easy, what they learned from them, and they're not afraid to share where they stumbled. This conversation was very, not to say fun, but engaging for me in the sense that Monsal and I have stumbled upon the same questions, sometimes stumbled upon the same ways of looking at them or taking different paths, and I always appreciate different perspectives. The show notes for this one, again, are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash sacredhunting. And if you want to check out anything that we've mentioned in this episode, you can go there to find everything in the show notes. Superhumans have an absolutely epic day. Remember, as always, choose health.